good howdy. Then get in, this is Judges 6, 36 through 40. Then Gideon said to God, In order to see whether you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you have said, I am going to lay a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. Now if there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry in all the ground, then I shall know that you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me. Let me speak one more time. Let me, please, make trial with the fleece just once more. Let it be dry this time only on the fleece and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Word of God. Well, years ago, when our, our kids were still in diapers, my wife and I decided to, to take a, a journey. It was going to be our first big family road trip. We decided to head east and go to Philadelphia. I always wanted to go to Philadelphia. When I was, when I was growing up, Rocky was always one of my favorite movies, and I always wanted to run up the steps in front of the Museum of Art, just like Sylvester Stallone, and then pose at the, at the top just like he does in the movie. I wanted to, to visit Independence Hall. I wanted to see the Liberty Bell. I'd never been to Philadelphia, and so my wife and I, we saved our pennies and our nickels, and then one day we loaded up the car. We put the kids in the car, and we put the diaper bags in the car and we put the pack and plays in the car and we put the favorite blankets in the car and we put the essential stuffed animals in the car. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to leave the house when you got two in diapers, right? It's hard to go anywhere when, when you've got two toddlers. We loaded up the car and then we, we headed east. We headed towards Philadelphia and we were having a great time out on our first big family adventure. Everything was going really well right up to the moment when, when the tire exploded. Just, just just outside of Pittsburgh, just as we were passing outside the city of Pittsburgh, the, the right rear tire of our car, it, it blew itself to shreds. Well, I, I managed to keep control of the car, and I pulled over to the side of the road. But, of course, the whole thing was, was a little bit scary for the kids, and so, so the kids started screaming from the back seat. And, and my wife, she climbed back into the back seat to try to calm the kids down while I got out to, to try to figure out how to change this, this tire. Well... It turns out we had one of those cars where they keep the spare tire in a secret compartment in the bottom of the trunk. And so there by the side of the road, by the side of the highway, I unloaded the diaper bags and I unloaded the pack and plays and I unloaded the favorite blankets and I unloaded the, the essential stuffed animals. I made a great big pile of our things there by the side of the road. Finally, I got down to that secret compartment and I took out the spare tire and then I jacked up the car and I got out the, the wrench and I loosened all the lug nuts that were holding 
holding the, the tire to the car, and then I gave that wheel a good yank to pull it off the car, and that wheel, it, it didn't move. The wheel, the wheel, it didn't come off the car. And so, and so I grabbed it a little more tightly, and I pulled on it again, and, and again, that wheel, it, it didn't budge. It turns out that the wheel had, had oxidized. It had rusted itself right onto the wheel hub. And, and no matter what I did, I could, not, I could not get that wheel to budge. I kicked the thing. I hit it with the tire iron. I yelled at it until I was blue in the face. But no matter what I did, I couldn't get that wheel to come off. And, of course, this was back in the days before my wife and I had cell phones. And so we were stuck. We didn't have any way of, of calling for help. And, and we were stranded there by the side of the road. So it was that I came to be sitting by the side of a highway outside of Pittsburgh, surrounded by a mountain of diapers and, and stuffed animals, listening to my children screaming in the backseat of, of the car. It was not a high point of my life. It was, it was not my most glorious moment. It was, it was a, a pretty rotten moment, to be, to be honest with you. It was one of the low moments of, of my life up to that point. And that, that moment right there, when I was feeling low and sitting by the side of the road just outside of Pittsburgh, that, that's when the first miracle happened. A van pulled up just then behind our car, and a man jumped out of the van, and he came trotting up to me, and he said, well, it looks like you could use some help. He said, is there anything I can, I can do? And I said, well, you know, the, the, the wheel is oxidized onto the wheel hub, and, and I can't get the thing to move. And I said, unless you've got a sledgehammer there in your van, I don't see, I don't see how you're going to be able to help us. And then with a twinkle in his eye, the man said, just a second, and he popped back to his van, and then almost as if by magic, he rematerialized with a sledgehammer in his hand. And, <laughs> And the man, he said, stand back. And then he gave that, that tire one good hard tap with the sledgehammer. And the thing just popped right off, just as sweet just as sweet as could be. Well, I was speechless. The man was back in his van, and he took off going before I even had time to, to thank him. He left me standing there by, by the side of the road, feeling like we had just been visited by, by an angel. Of course, that, that happy, grateful feeling, it didn't last very long. I, I put the spare tire on the car, and then we drove into town. We went into a... A tire shop there in in Pittsburgh. Well, the guy at the tire shop, he took a look at our tires and he said, you don't need one one new tire. He said, you need four new tires. He said, any one of these tires could explode on you at any minute. You need a brand new set of tires, he said, and and the damage is going to be just a a little under $500. Well, that... That was a low moment for the Peters family because we had budgeted this trip out to the nickel. We didn't have an extra $500 lying around. We knew that we could put we could put new tires on the car or we could go to Philadelphia, but we couldn't do both of those things. And so with, with sadness and great regret, I swiped my credit card and then the man, he put a whole new set of tires on the car and we knew, we knew that our great family adventure, our first family road trip had, had ended. Well, we drove to my sister-in-law's house. My wife has a sister who lives in Pittsburgh, and, and we figured, well, we could spend the night at her place, and then in the morning, we would, we would drive back to Michigan. And so we pulled into my sister-in-law's driveway with, with sadness and regretful hearts, and then we parked in her driveway, and we walked into her house, and that's when the second miracle happened. Now, just as we were walking into my sister-in-law's house, the, the telephone rang, and my, my wife was standing closest to it, and so my sister-in-law said to her, why don't you answer that for me? So my wife, she, she answered the phone. It was her grandmother on the other side of the phone, my wife's grandmother. My wife, she answered the phone and said hello to her grandmother, and then, and then my wife's grandmother went on to tell her the most remarkable story. And my, my wife's grandmother said to her, your grandfather spoke to me in a dream last night. 
Now, now my wife had the most amazing grandfather that a person could have. Her grandfather was a World War II veteran. He, he lost a leg in the Normandy invasion. He went on to become a pillar of his church and a pillar of his, his community. He had passed away just a few weeks before this. The, the whole family was still, was still mourning his loss. Well, Jen's grandmother said to her, Your grandfather came to me in a dream last night. And he told me that, that he was in a good place, and he told me that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be worried about him. And then your grandfather and I, we talked about all sorts of things. And then, and then at the end of the dream, her grandmother said, at the end of the dream, he, he asked me to do something. You know, your grandfather and I, we had this bond that we bought many years ago, and it's been accumulating value. We've been saving it uh, for just, just the right moment. Well, in the dream, your grandfather said to me, I want you to sell that bond. The time, the time has finally come to, to sell that bond, and I want you to take the, the proceeds from the sale of that bond, and I want you to split it up between all of the grandkids. Do it as soon as you wake up in the morning, because somebody needs that money right now. They'll know. They'll know what it's for. And so so Jen's grandfather, grandmother said to her, there's, there's a check in the mail. You're going to get it when you get back home to, to Michigan. And I want you to, to know that this is a gift from your, your grandfather. Well, of course, my wife, she, she thanked her grandmother. And then she said, how much, how much is the check for? And her grandmother said, well, it's not very much. Your, your portion comes out to just a little under $500. I still get goosebumps when I, think of, when I think of that moment. It turns out that the check was almost exactly the same as the cost of the spare tires. They're the new tires that we had, we, had just put on, we had just put on our car. And so the Peters family vacation was back on. We headed out to Philadelphia. I got to run up those steps, and I've got the picture of me at the, the top of the stairs posing just like Sylvester Stallone. We had a great time on that trip, and I want you to know that I treasure the memory of that day and the miracles that we saw on that day. That day, for just a moment, I I suddenly got to see God's invisible hand moving, moving in our lives. For just a moment, I was suddenly incredibly intensely aware of the fact that we are surrounded by spiritual things and spiritual realities that we cannot, that we cannot see. And I hang on to that moment. And in those days, in those times in my life when I'm having a hard time believing that God is real, in those moments when I'm having a difficult time believing that God is with us, I think back on that day and the memory of the things that happened on that day. They, they give me courage. They renew. They renew this and strengthen my faith. Maybe you've got moments like that in your own life. Maybe there are moments in your life when God suddenly gave you a clear and unmistakable sign that you are not alone in this world. Maybe you hold on to those moments and they, they give you courage and strengthen your faith like those, those memories do for me. That's, that's the kind of moment that Gideon is in need of as we pick up our scripture reading this morning. Now, as we're, we're going through the month of November, we're following the story of this man named Gideon from the book of Judges. Here's what we've heard of the story so far. We've learned that Gideon lived in a dark and desperate time. Gideon lived in a moment when God's people were constantly under attack by their enemies, the Midianites. Every, every year at the harvest time, the Midianites would come with a great army and they would overwhelm the Israelites and they would plunder their storehouses and they would strip their barns bare and then they would leave the Israelites to starve through the winter. This happened year after year after year until finally one year God spoke. One day God spoke to this man, this humble farmer named Gideon. And God says to Gideon, God says, I am with you. I am with you and you are mighty. 
I will go with you and you will lead my people to victory over their enemies. And when Gideon hears those words, I am with you and you are mighty, he feels something beginning to happen in his heart that he has never felt before. He feels the beginnings of of a courage that he has never felt before. He feels a, a mustard seed of faith take root in his heart and begin to grow in a way that he has never had faith before. Gideon believes God's promises. And so when word travels throughout the land that the Midianites are on their way, that a great army of Midianites is approaching, Gideon does what God has told him to do. He starts rallying the troops. Gideon sends messengers to every village and every corner of of the land, and he says, come, come gather together. Let's make a stand. Let's finally stand up to the Midianites and drive them out of this land so they will never bother us again. Gideon sends messengers to every corner of the land, and then this most remarkable thing begins to happen. People answer the call. People start to come. They come in pairs and they come by the dozens and they come by the hundreds and and a great Israelite army begins to take shape. A great encampment of Israelites begins to, to materialize before Gideon's eyes and you would think that as Gideon looks out over that encampment, as he looks out over this army and sees how many people have answered the call, you would think that he would be encouraged. You would think that his faith would get even stronger but in fact as Gideon looks out over that that army, as he looks out over that encampment, just the opposite happens. Gideon feels his faith begin to crumble because he looks out over all those people and he sees that the people who have answered his call, they're not soldiers. They're not warriors. They're just a bunch of humble farmers just like him. When he looks out over that encampment, what he sees is thousands of men dressed in rags, half-starved, armed with, with pitchforks and hoes and rakes and sticks and rocks. And he knows In his heart, he knows that it doesn't matter how many men come. It doesn't matter how great their army is. He knows that these Israelites will never be able to stand before these battle-hardened Midianites with their chariots and their swords and their spears. Gideon feels his confidence begin to crumble, and he knows the only chance they have in this battle is if God really is with them. And so that night, with, with fear and doubt in his heart, Gideon gets down on his knees, and he has an honest conversation with God. He prays a prayer that maybe you have prayed at some point in his life. Gideon, in that moment of prayer, Gideon says, God, I really want to believe. I want to believe that you are with us. I want to believe that your promises are real. But right now, I'm having a really hard time feeling your presence. I'm having a really hard time having confidence in your plans. God, I need, I need you to show me something. I need you to give me a clear and unmistakable sign so I will know that you are with me so I can have the courage to do what you have called me to do. And then, and then Gideon gives God terms, which is not something I as a pastor ordinarily recommend, but it works for Gideon here. Gideon Gideon lays out a test for God. He says, Lord, tonight before I go to bed, I'm going to lay out a a fleece, probably something, probably something like this. I'm going to lay a fleece out in front of my tent on on the ground. And and in the morning when I get up, I'm going to check that sheepskin. And if the sheepskin is wet with the morning dew, but the ground all around it is dry, then I will know that you are with us. Then I will know that you can work miracles and wonders and that we will prevail over our enemies. And so Gideon puts the fleece out in front of his tent and he, he goes to sleep. And by the way, I know that we're, we're really running a, a high risk here, having a stewardship month where we're talking about fleeces and we got the fleeces. And, and, and we had a long conversation about whether or not people were going to make a joke about getting fleeced by the 
the church. And, and I said, listen, if I make it first, then we disarmed it, and it's okay, right? So I know, I know, you, you, right? I got there before you did. Gideon lays the fleece out in front of his tent, and then he goes back into his tent, and he tries to get some sleep. But all night long, he tosses and turns, and he wrestles within himself. Finally, in the morning, he gets up. He runs outside. He puts his hand down on the fleece, and he discovers that that fleece is soaking wet. That fleece is, is so wet with the morning dew that Gideon is able to wring an entire bowlful of water out of that fleece. But all around the fleece, the ground is completely, completely dry. And this is the moment when Gideon is supposed to say, okay, God, I get it. Okay, God, I see that you are with us. Okay, I'm going to move ahead with your plan. This is the moment when Gideon is supposed to say, God, I believe that you are able to prevail over our enemies, so let's go. This is the moment when Gideon is supposed to go forward with what God has asked him to do, but that's not what Gideon does. Gideon, Gideon does something completely unexpected in this moment. Instead of saying, all right, God, I see that you are with us and I believe in your plan. Instead, Gideon gets back down on his knees and he has another conversation with God. And Gideon says, oh, Lord, I hope I'm not pushing my luck. He says, God, I really, I really don't want you to be angry with me. Don't strike me down. Don't smite me. But, God, I just, it would really help my heart. It would really help my courage if you could just give us one more sign. And so, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to put that fleece out in front of my tent again tonight. And in the morning when I wake up, I'm going to check it. And, and tomorrow morning, if the fleece is completely dry but the ground all around the fleece is wet, then I will know that you are with us. Then I will have confidence in your plan, then I, will, then I will be able to believe. And so Gideon, once again, sets the fleece out in, out in front of his tent, and he, he goes back to sleep. Now this moment, this moment when Gideon asks God for a second sign, this is one of the most controversial, one of the most talked about and debated moments in the entire Bible. For thousands of years, rabbis and preachers and scholars have been arguing and debating and trying to figure out why Gideon asks for a second sign when God has already given him a perfectly good one. Why, why does Gideon do this? What is, it, what is it about Gideon that we're learning in this moment? Now, there are some people who say in this moment we're discovering that Gideon, Gideon is truly a cowardly man. There are some people who say that in this moment we see that Gideon is just a timid and faithless man who is trying to find a loophole, trying to wriggle out of what God has called him to do, trying to find a way not to go to battle against the Midianites. Other people say, no, 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 Gideon's not a coward, and it's not fair to call him a coward. God has asked him to do a difficult and remarkable thing. Some people say Gideon is just a normal human being doing what any of us would do in a similar situation. He's looking for some sort of sign to give him courage, some sort of sign to give him confidence. For thousands of years, people have been going back and forth over whether or not Gideon is a faithless coward or, or just a normal human being doing what a normal human being would do. I've been pondering that question myself this week, and and I think I've come to a conclusion. Now, here's what I've decided. We'll see if, if you agree with me. We'll see if you think I'm right. I, I've come to the conclusion that all those people who spent all those thousands of years arguing about what this story tells us about Gideon have completely missed the point. Because the point of this story is not what it tells us about Gideon. The point of this story is what it tells us about God. 
And the point of the story is when Gideon gets out of bed the next morning and goes out of his tent and puts his hand on that fleece, he discovers that the fleece is perfectly dry, but all around the fleece, the ground is soaking wet. The point is whether Gideon is a coward or whether he is just a normal human doing what normal humans do, God is patient beyond all expectations with Gideon. God is gracious beyond anything Gideon has the right to expect. The point of this story is that God is patient with cowards and God is gracious with normal human beings because God knows God knows that sometimes it is hard for us to believe. God knows that there will be moments when we wrestle and that we will have moments of doubt. And instead of being angry with us in those moments, instead of judging and condemning us over and over and over again, what does God do? God meets us more than halfway. God gives us the signs. God gives us the things that we need to believe in that moment, to do what God has called us to do. The point of this story is not that Gideon was faithless. The point of this story is that God is faithful and God has filled this world with signs because God knows, God knows how hard it is for us to believe. God sends us angels by the side of the road. God sends us miracles when we least expect them. God even raises people from the dead so that you and I can have the courage we need to do the work we've been called to do. Uh, this week, you're going to get a, an envelope in the mail from the church. If you're on our mailing list, if not, we'll track you down in another way. You're going to get an envelope in, in the mail from the church. And, and when you open that envelope, you're going to find a, another word from one of the members of our Court Street Church family. And, and attached to that, that letter, you're going to find a, a card, an estimate of giving card for, for 2019. And I hope that when you, when you get that card, you won't just throw it away, that you won't put it on a kitchen counter and then forget about it until next Sunday morning. I, I hope that you'll spend some time I'm praying over that card. I hope that you will will fill that card out and bring it to worship next Sunday morning. I hope that you will continue to to make a generous investment in the ministries of Court Street Church so that the work we do here can continue to touch and transform people's lives all around the city of Flint and all all around the world. I hope I hope that you'll come to worship next Sunday with that card all filled out and ready to lay it lay it on the altar before God. But even more than that, here's what I hope. Here's what I'm I'm praying for this week. My hope is that at some point during this Thanksgiving week, you will take a moment to remember those moments in your life. Those moments when God sent you an angel right when you needed an angel. Those moments when God sent you a miracle just when you needed a miracle. Those moments when you suddenly saw God's hand at work. Those moments when when you suddenly were aware that there is an invisible presence all around us. That we have someone walking beside us, watching over us. My hope is that you will remember those moments. And my hope is that the memory of those moments would fill your heart with courage. and, And make it just that much easier for you to believe. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for all of those times when you have come to our rescue. We give you thanks for those moments that that we have taken as signs, those moments that make it easier for us to believe that you are with us and we can believe you when you say that we are mighty. God, we pray that you would continue to walk beside us, that you would continue to fill this world with signs and wonders. God, we pray for your kingdom to come. We thank you for letting us be a part of it. In the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.